What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey and right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease it's thursday september 24th I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America. A look back at the early days of the pandemic and the first nursing home outbreak at the Life Care Center of Kirkland in Washington. 46 people died there, but did those deaths have to happen? The way that COVID-19 tore through the facility is a cautionary tale for the way we operate nursing homes in the U.S. There were failures at many steps during the way, all while residents and workers saw some of their friends get sick and die. Katie Engelhart, contributor to California Sunday Magazine, spent months investigating what happened and joins us for how it all played out. Thanks for joining us, Katie. Thanks for having me. You wrote a piece for the California Sunday Magazine looking at the Life Care Center of Kirkland in Washington. It was the first COVID hotspot in the United States. It was a nursing home facility. 46 people died there that were residents or, or staff and all. And you spent months investigating this. You wrote a a huge comprehensive piece on this. It focuses on the story of two women who lived in the nursing home. They lived in side-by-side beds in room 10 there. One of them died. The other one lived. One of their daughters is suing the nursing home facility. The other uh, daughter of the other woman said they maybe did everything they could do given the circumstances. But it really just underscores how unprepared We were as a country, how unprepared nursing home facilities across the country, because the majority of COVID-19 deaths have occurred in nursing home facilities. Obviously, these Mm -hmm. are our our most vulnerable, our our oldest citizens. It is an incredible story that you really wrote on this. So start us off. Tell us what happened there at the Life Care Center of Kirkland. 
Well, as you said, you know, the story is focusing on two women, Helen and Twyla, who lived in room 10 of the Life Care Center in Kirkland, Washington. And we've heard a lot about nursing home deaths during COVID. Nursing home residents account for a teeny fraction of 1% of the population, and still they make up more than a quarter of total COVID deaths. So when one of the daughters, Twyla Morin's daughter, Debbie, announced that she was suing the nursing home, I really wanted to look at this issue of blame. To what extent was the Life Care Center responsible for these deaths? And to what extent was these deaths just inevitable when the virus got inside the building? Because we know it targets older populations. And what I found was a sort of more confusing mix of things. Federal investigators have found that the Life Care Center, the nursing home, made pretty considerable errors in its handling of the pandemic. But what I found kind of around those failures were failures by local hospitals, county, state, and federal officials. I can give you one example. Early on in the pandemic, residents start dying at the Life Care Center, and Life Care's doctor goes out sick. He starts experiencing symptoms. He can no longer come in. Well, now we're in the middle of a pandemic at a nursing home, and there are no doctors available. The nursing home does not have a backup physician available and cannot find one. So days pass in which residents are dying and no doctor is on staff to treat them. This is a failure of the nursing home. The nursing home has been fined for a number of violations, over $600,000. But then I started to kind of tease apart, well, who knew that there wasn't a doctor in the facility? What I found was that county officials had kind of asked around at local hospitals, hey, can anyone else fill in at life care? No one stepped forward. The county itself didn't send doctors on site for several days. Also, officials of the Department of Health in Washington and the federal government at the Centers for Medicare Services, they all knew that there was no doctor at life care and no one was able to come up with a doctor. So we see these failures at different levels. But even beyond that, just playing with the same example of the missing doctor, Basically, there aren't requirements that nursing homes have backup physicians on staff or kind of a secondary person who's there to look at residents. A doctor can be basically working solo in a nursing home without much oversight at all. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with you after reading through who is to blame. Obviously, the nursing home had a ton of errors, but when they asked for help and needed the most help, there was nobody there to back them up, whether, as you mentioned, county, the state the federal government, you know, they didn't have that backup that they needed. So is it all on the nursing home facility themselves? It's hard to say, really. But in it, you have low levels of staffers because they started getting sick, too. And uh, a lot of them were calling out. They were working on a skeleton crew. And there's moments that, you, you know, you write in the story where they're just at their wits end. They don't know what to do. They're trying to answer calls from family members, but at the same time, they're like, hey, I got to go. I got to make a 911 call to get a resident out of here. It was like a fire the whole time. If we consider the context, you know, this is at a moment in time where we're really not taking COVID seriously. And, you know, it seems to be sort of a minor threat to the United States. Inside this nursing home, we have residents who aren't being fed regularly not being bathed regularly, who are being left unattended for long stretches of time. I spoke with a doctor who has experience treating Ebola patients in West Africa, and he said that when he got to the nursing home several weeks later as as part of a relief effort, he realized it was a humanitarian mission not unlike the ones he's participated in abroad. But you're right, the low-level staff were absolutely strapped. They were going out sick. The ones that were there were doing the best that they could. Every single 
staff member who I spoke to, either on or off the record, cried a lot yeah. while we were on the phone together. So I think, you know, it's clear that the staff really suffered. And I think, you know, the lack of preparedness was clear sort of at every level. I did a very haunting interview with Dr. Stephen Morris at the Harbor Reed Medical Center. He's part of what's called disaster medical control for King County. So he helps kind of move patients around when there's an emergency. And he said to me, you know, we weren't really looking at nursing homes. He said he was working on plans to deal with other vulnerable populations like homeless populations. And it didn't really strike him that this was something that was going to affect nursing homes disproportionately, even though the data from China was already suggesting that it would. And I think we see this at every level. You know, I looked at a Washington state kind of a pandemic preparedness exercise that was done a few years ago. A big report was written. I found that nursing homes were rarely mentioned in this big 90-page report. And when they were mentioned, it was kind of an offhand reference as part of a bigger list of different kinds of healthcare facilities. By contrast, that state plan had several sections devoted to very precise requirements for state veterinarians. So I think that gives you a good sense for how much nursing homes are kind of on the minds of public officials. What do we know about how the coronavirus first infiltrated there at the life care center? And what was, do we know, you know, we we hear a lot about super spreader events and whatnot. Do we know Mm -hmm. if there was a specific moment that really kind of released the coronavirus throughout the nursing home there? We don't. And there's no sort of patient zero at the nursing home. What we do know from other facilities is that in some cases, you know, it's staff that brought the virus into facilities. What's really important to know is that low-level nursing assistants make incredibly low wages and are usually working without benefits, which means that they often work multiple jobs at multiple facilities to make ends meet. And they're likely to go to work sometimes when they're sick because they need to make rent payments and they're not being offered paid sick leave. So we're finding that the way that staff are treated is really closely connected to resident welfare. If staff are coming in sick, residents are going to suffer. And frankly, we're paying attention to those things now because it's coronavirus. But it's really got me thinking like, gosh, a lot of elderly people die of influenza every year. How many of those deaths were preventable if we were just better about infection control in these facilities? And the turnover rate, you mentioned in the article, you know, there's a lot of these people that need so much help and they're just being cared for by a rotating cast of people because people are leaving, people are coming and going. Obviously, a lot of staffers got sick, so they weren't even there. So that was definitely a a big problem there. Tell me a little bit about Mm -hmm. testing because testing is an issue around the country, obviously, but in the beginning there at the nursing home, they requested a bunch of tests. They gave them like half or less than half of what they needed to test, even just the residents. Mm -hmm. You know, staffers were another story. Test. You know, there are some things that were easy for me to understand, like at the beginning, there being just a general shortage of tests. That's part of you know much bigger story and some of it unique to the United States. But other aspects of the testing story at LifeCare are harder for me to understand. I spoke to several staff members who worked in the nursing home for months. We're talking five, six, seven days a week. They were never tested. They never once got tested for COVID during that time. And the nursing home would have known by then that staff members can be asymptomatic and still be spreading the virus. So that's a really big problem. And, you know, I think now, actually, the the testing issue gets back at this larger point of accountability. You know, at the beginning, there was a shortage of tests and the government just didn't have them. But now who should really be responsible for getting the tests? And the nursing home industry will say these tests are really expensive and we need government to provide them for us. And the state should be testing residents for free. 
But a lot of kind of industry critics will say, no, a lot of these nursing homes are making a lot of money and they should be buying their own tests. So even now, I think there's a lot of kind of punting of responsibility for what to do. And, and still in about half of states, nursing home staff aren't able to test with the regularity that's recommended by the CDC. This is such a detailed and comprehensive story, and it's just tough to get to every angle in this one mm-hmm. interview here. But there was an inspection done about how you know everything went through there. This was done by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They yeah. went to evaluate the handling of the outbreak. What was the result of that report? I should say, you know, that the nursing home is currently appealing these findings, but the nursing home was found to have made errors which placed residents in what's called immediate jeopardy. And the nursing home was fined around $600,000 for those errors. And shortly after that report, of course, is when family members start talking about potential wrongful death litigation against the nursing home. And this is really important because right now the industry is basically fighting to make sure that lawsuits like the one that's currently pending against life care don't happen. So we've seen in a lot of states, industry groups lobbying to get states to pass immunity legislation, meaning that families can never sue for anything related to coronavirus. And the industry is also pushing the federal government to do the same. So I think that question of accountability is going to be a big one in the kind of months ahead. And critics will say it's easy to blame a single facility. It's possible to have a lawsuit against a nursing home, much more complicated if you're trying to bring in a range of government actors who have underregulated nursing homes for a really long time. As I mentioned at the beginning, you spent months investigating this. This overall was really a story about two women there. Twyla and Helen and and kind of how they experienced this almost uh, at the Life Care Center of Kirkland, Washington. Just tell us the top takeaway, I guess, from looking into this and and seeing the handling of all this. What could you say is the top takeaway from all this? What surprised me most was just how little nursing homes are regulated in some areas and how little we know about what goes on in nursing homes, even though at any given time around 1.4 million Americans, most of them elderly or people with disabilities, are living in a nursing home. So what I found, for instance, is that the nursing home industry is largely made up of private companies. 70% of nursing homes are for profit. Many of them are backed by private equity groups. And those companies receive billions of dollars every year in public money. Still, they don't even need to publish financial statements that are available to residents or family members. They don't need to really reveal much about who they're trading with and who's providing services. And so what I'm finding is that there's just a huge amount of underregulation that has really contributed to some of the issues like understaffing that have affected us during COVID. Again, I suggest everybody go and check out Katie's piece. It really is an impressive look into what happened there at the Life Care Center of Kirkland in Washington. And as I mentioned, just kind of emblematic possibly of, you know, other things happening at other nursing homes. It's an incredible piece and these stories of Helen and Twyla, everything there. It's just a really great look into what happened. Katie Engelhart, contributor to California Sunday Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget that for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.